I think more and more breweries are going to be looking towards the ability to, um, to do remote work, but also just to take advantage of what technology has to offer because they're going to see their friends brewing, utilizing these technologies and see that they're getting left in the dust. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. All right. Welcome to part two of our Smart Manufacturing in the Brewing Industry edition of Manufacturing Happy Hour. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I'd highly recommend that you go back and do that because today is actually going to be the Q&A portion of the show. Now, for some context, this episode came from one of our virtual happy hours that we do with our Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community which feature a fireside chat with an individual or a group of experts in a particular topic in the manufacturing field, followed by some Q&A and overall group discussion. So today we're going to take on the Q&A. If you haven't, go back to part one and check out that. It came out right before this, so it should not be too hard to find. Now, if you don't remember the individuals that were on the last episode, I will quickly reintroduce the all-star panel of beer experts that we had sitting up there. First, we had Steve Grundy, essentially my co-host for the episode, who is the founder and CEO of Top 5 Solutions, who represent everything from brew house and fermentation tank technology to the automation behind the brewing process. They partner with a lot of great companies. In addition, we had Connor McDonald, who is an automation and information solutions engineer with McRae Integration, which specialize in brewery automation. We also have Stephen Rich, the Director of Innovation and Education and a brewmaster at Cowbell Brewing in Ontario. Then finally, we have Nicholas Chan, who is the principal owner of Iconic Project Group and a former Director of Engineering at Molson Coors. Like I said, this is a pretty stacked crew, and I'm excited to have them on the show for a bonus episode, answering some of the questions from our community. This includes topics like how has brewing been impacted by the current COVID-19 pandemic, as well as remote technologies to keep the brewing industry running. We also get into more in-depth discussion about what smart manufacturing means for the brewing industry and smart manufacturing in general, as well as a couple other questions. Before we dive into the episode itself, I know I keep mentioning the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community. If you're not part of this group yet, I'd highly recommend joining. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com community. That will take you to our LinkedIn page where this group lives. It has over 200 manufacturing all-stars, people that are trying to push the limits in the manufacturing industry, folks that care about their companies and careers. These are the type of people you want to be connected with in this space if you want to take your career to the next level. So again, head there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. And let's head into today's episode right now. As we dive into the Q&A, funny enough, Steve Grundy is about to flip the questions on me to kick things off. So let's not waste any time. Crack a beer and let's get rolling. give the group a chance to answer some questions so if you want to fill out the chat with any questions that you have that haven't been answered yet use use uh 
this time now to do that. But Steve, is there anything big that I haven't asked yet that you wish I would have asked to the crew that we have here today? No, you know what? I think, um, first of all, it's probably obvious why um, I assembled this team of, of, of people because of, you know, the answers that they gave to the questions that, that you asked. Um, there's a diverse uh, set of experience and, you know, it goes from big beer to, you know, to small to medium size and, and kind of everything in between. But um, um, I guess I would, maybe I'll ask, I'll ask you a question. When you listen as the host of the show, when you listen to what, what they're saying, what the, uh, the, the, you know, the guest stars are saying, um, what is your reaction to all of that? I mean, as you think about how that might apply to, you know, other segments of manufacturing, because, you know, we've got a mixed crowd, right? This is not just about mm-hmm. room. Um, it's about, it's about manufacturing in general. How does, how does that resonate with you about, you know, what you see in other segments of, of manufacturing? How applicable are, are, the, are the themes that you're hearing uh, to, those, to those areas? Well, I, I think the easiest way for me to answer that, I'll start with this and then I can go deeper after that, is the number one thing we hear, whether we're talking about, you know, implementing a enterprise IoT strategy or whether we're talking about implementing an approach to cybersecurity, it's always people, processes, and technology or systems, as we've said on here. I think that's the common thread that literally every episode, every talk we do, that always comes up. So I think when manufacturing leaders that either attend these events or listen to the podcast or the videos, they're trying to hear the type of solutions people are putting in place and the type of teams that people are are putting in place to make that happen. So I guess one my way to maybe flip the question around a bit is what are the type of people that you need in these roles to allow you to do the type of work that you're doing to improve throughput, allow you to do uh, more beer? Like what type of experiences or personalities or people are you looking for? Right. I think, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I always say this to my own, you know, to my family, to my kids, right? Cause I'm supposed to be a father as well as a business owner and a, you know, and a, and a business leader, but, um, I, and, you know, Steven's worked with me enough that uh, he, he's probably heard me say this a bunch of times, right? I'm always open to the possibility that I'm wrong. And just because, you know, we do things a certain way, it doesn't mean that they're right. And if we want to, uh, if we want to improve, right, this continuous improvement mindset, um, which is something that my wife as a teacher is always reminding me of, um, I think it's, it's those types of people that, you know, you have to be looking for to add to your teams or to have on your teams, um, you know, to, to make these things happen. Um, so whether you're building a greenfield facility or whether you're trying to improve an existing facility, it's really being open to, you know, what are we trying to accomplish, first of all? Um, and then, you know, in, in terms of the people, processes, technology framework, um, what do we really need to do, right, together as a team in order to achieve that? And, you know, get our egos and, you know, get our own self-interests out of the way and think about, you know, the greater good. So whether it's, you know, being good stewards of the land in the case of, of Cowbell or, you know, as a big corporate citizen like Molson Coors, um, you know, how do, how do the, the, the decisions that we make day to day about water usage, energy usage, um, you know, materials yield, um, you know, just... The, the things that we're doing day to day, how does that help us achieve our business goals? But how does that also create a sustainable future for, you know, for the business and, and for everybody and really focusing on people that get that 
and that support that and um, and that that live that right in in their work. I, I think that's the that's the fundamental that's the fundamental difference, right? Is 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 people that are willing to to think that way. Yeah, it was just to maybe to build on what Steve's saying because it's funny. It's you know I've been more recently you know working I've been working with the Queen's University. Uh, here in Ontario, on uh, a professor Catherine Broman on exactly this digital transformation space. All right, everything from small companies, medium companies, large companies, and you know where we see and her research has shown, you know, actually is 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 resist the temptation to buy the latest stuff. Okay, <laughs> you know, and you know. It's more the, the the trend of you know hey listen I need I need smart I need smart sensors and okay well what does smart sensors mean but really is is uh, adopt a digital transformation that is aligned and exactly what you said Steve and you know kind of what I hear from Steve and yourself is what does your business whether it's large or small what are you trying to achieve you know technology whether it's you know bleeding edge or leading edge is simply going to get you there faster. So if you're not clear on what you want to achieve, so if you want to achieve more sustainability, more productivity, better quality, all these things, you got to understand what you want to achieve before you just go buy the latest stuff. Okay. And cause otherwise you're just going to spend a lot of money. You're going to put all the people through a lot of change. And, you know, I think digital transformation success rate at this current time is less than 20% is what the statistics show. Mm. And we got to understand why is because, you know, your people and your processes, you know, as part of this discussion, aren't ready for it. So, mm. you know, come back to is this focus. You know, I, I always tell organizations and, and, you know, especially, you know, um, the ones that are growing at a rapid pace is, you know, cause they want to say, Oh, you know what we need, we need to produce more. We need to be more throughput. You know what I mean? And, you know, we, we need to buy this and we need to buy that. They're fundamentally correct, you know, but let's make sure that that's aligned to what a business objective is. You know, do you have a clear understanding of a 12 and 18 month roadmap? Do you know what I mean? And what's it going to take to implement new stuff? You know, cause sometimes, you know, I can buy the latest iPhone and give it to my grandmother, but man, that's not going to go very well. <laughs> right. You know, that's a great, that's a great answer. And it's, it's interesting. We, uh, we did a live show back in November at automation fair this past year. We were talking about digital transformation success rates and the, the answer quite frankly was very, very similar. I think his statistic was even more alarming, like 90% of digital transformations fail because people get stuck in the pilot phase. And the reason that happens is because you don't have the right people in place. So yeah. Awesome that you emphasize the people aspect on that again. And Steven, I know you had something to add to that too, if you wanted to jump in now. Yeah, I was just going to say like, if anyone watching this is like thinking about building a brewery or hiring people, the interesting thing about beer and obviously other industries too, but beer is a super personal thing to a lot of people, um, especially those who make it. People generally take it very personally and there's a lot of different uh, ways and different mindsets, different morals uh, that go into making different types of beer. And so uh, what's always been really important to me uh, where when I'm looking to work with someone, uh, whether it's inward or outward, 
you got to make sure that you're really transparent about your goals and make sure that people you're hiring uh, transparently believe in, uh, in the company's goals. Because a fantastic, high-quality technical brewer uh, might have all the, the right skill sets, but if they don't mesh with the way that you want to make beer, it's not going to work. It was a big deal for us at Cowbell deciding, you know, closed loop carbon neutral brewery focused hugely on sustainability. Uh, you know, counterpoint to one of my earlier points that puts a lot of limitations on the things we can do. Um, some people aren't going to believe in that. So it, uh, you, you have to find people that transparently believe in what you believe in. Awesome. And we do have a couple questions that have come in from Tanya that I'd, I'd love to get to before we do a little good of the order here uh, at the end of the call. So for the next 10 minutes, we'll be doing some questions here. Tanya, you mentioned that Connor was talking about keeping people busy and Nick talking about putting people first um, and then processes and systems. So this gets into the current climate we're in here in July 2020 about how did you factor in people during the time of COVID I guess to read it verbatim, how did the last few months affect the people factor and how well can remote technologies be implemented into breweries? That's the question we got. Nick, do you want to start that one? Yeah, you know, like I, I think COVID just, uh, and there's two aspects to it. So what we've, what I've seen and talking to a lot of, you know, organizations over the last four months, all right, is COVID has either accelerated your digital transformation and your people requirements, right? So organizations have seen their digital business, you know, which was 10% previously to 80%, literally overnight. And realizing that, hey, listen, most of them have been able to cross the line and be successful, but it's easy to be successful when you put 90% of your best people, you know, towards something because there's nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. You know what? So COVID has highlighted that it can be done and it can be done quickly. And even I think is ascent, they're going to put an exclamation mark on the people portion, right? If you put the right people against the initiative, it doesn't take two years to roll out a digital strategy. All right. It can be done in 90 days. It can be done in 120 days, but it takes a significant amount of people power to get there in terms of actual manufacturing. I think for those manufacturers who have invested in, you know, Stephen kind of talked a bit about it in good hygiene, good layout facilities with the proper uh, cleaning procedures in place, they're doing fine during COVID, you know? Yeah, there's more restrictions. There's additional PPE required today, but they're ready. Those ones who may not have done so, when we talk about in beer, especially if you haven't, then you're, let's say, you know, say less organized or hygiene is not a high factor. I think they have, you know, they've struggled uh, a little bit. So COVID has, I think, highlighted a lot of the opportunities, you know, so if I always look at the pint half full, you know, is that it's, you know, highlighted a lot of the opportunities, but you know, it's, let's not, let's be honest. And the truth is going to, the truth is, is, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies are struggling because it's a different way of doing business. It happened pretty quickly and, you know, they're putting their people first in most cases, but it's, it's a tough environment. I don't want to say it's easy out there. 
Awesome answer, Nick. Connor, we'll go to you and then Steven, I'll get your thoughts after that. Um, I can I can address the remote technologies uh, part of that directly. Those that, that have made the investment towards like collecting centralized data and kind of putting everything on the network and IoT and all of this, um, Nick and Steven both mentioned earlier that remaining flexible in brewing is really important. So if you've got all of this infrastructure set up, all of a sudden nobody can come into the brewery. Well, maybe your head brewer can work from home. He's got all the data available to him on the internet. He's, he's got insight into the breweries. Um, if his brewers get stuck, they can call and he can jump into the system and take overrides. And um, the, the technology allows that. And it's, it's, it's good that you stay flexible and that you can um, pivot to respond to a, a scenario like we're in right now. Awesome. I'm going to toss out the last question we've got, and we'll start with um, Stephen. We'll start with you on this one. Um, the next question was around smart manufacturing um, in Europe being closely related to Industry 4.0. Tanya, I should probably hand it off to you because I'd like you to ask this question since I think you're the the most apt at kind of explaining what you're seeing in your your space right now. Well, um, Industry 4.0 is just one of the buzzwords that's been flying around over the last couple of years, and it, it's now been slowly but surely been taken over by digital transformation. But still, I was talking to someone the other day, and he was like, yeah, buzzword, buzzword. It's, it's all the same thing. It's um, production ever since you know, back in the days, um, it's always been about producing more in shorter time at a lower cost. It's just right now in this day and age, we have tools available that just weren't there. I mean, could you have imagined like three years ago, what, what tools we would have right now? So all these like tools, and, and I think, I think you, Nick, um, already went into that before. So half answered my question how open are brewers to actually apply all these new tools and new technologies? From my perspective, I think it's a pretty mixed bag. I mean, personally, as Steve Grundy knows, I'm very excited by new technologies that help us reduce risk, make better beer, make it more efficiently, make it safer. But it's, uh, you know, in Ontario, when I started brewing beer over 10 years ago, there were 32 craft breweries, 32 breweries. There's now over 420. So as you can imagine, there's every type of brewery all the way from uh, a mom and pop shop making 200 liters at a time to, I mean, Ontario has some of the biggest breweries in the world with Labatt and Molson uh, operating here in Ontario. So um, every brewery is going to feel differently about it. However, I do think that COVID has shown people that um, things that we may have taken for granted, uh, you know, we've already talked about PPE and, and sanitary and process. I think those things that may have been on the back burner for a lot of breweries are going to be more important. So there's going to be a lot of push uh, towards some of the basic regulatory uh, items that people need to follow. But I think people are going to start to look towards technology more and more. Cowbell is kind of in a middle range of what Connor was talking about with respect to the ability to essentially brew virtually from home. We have the ability to access a lot and do a lot remotely, but we, we still need boots on the ground. But I think more and more breweries are going to be looking towards the ability to, um, to do remote work 
but also just to take advantage of what technology has to offer because they're going to see their friends brewing, utilizing these technologies and see that they're getting left in the dust. Maybe to build on what Steven was saying is kind of what you, you know, I, when I joined the beer industry, you know, over 12 years ago, I was shocked actually on how conservative the overall industry is. All right. You know, we've been brewing beer this way for 200, I think 240 somewhat years, you know, uh, and John Molson did it this way and we still do it in certain ways. Um, so I completely agree with Stephen. It's a mixed bag out there, you know, for, I would say a highly conservative industry to begin with, you know, um, it, it's an art form with a starting to step into a little bit more science. All right. And technology. Uh, but you're absolutely right. If you, I've, I've had many brewmasters, you know what I mean? And my last, Brewmaster, I you know was quite fond of, was a you know trained a German trade trained brewmaster, and absolutely you know he did it his certain his way, and it was only done, you know in a certain uh, approach. But what gets really down to the core of most brewers is if somebody can, if they find out that someone else is making a better beer than they are trust me that that conservatism goes out the window pretty quickly. Right. You know, it, it, it's not about technology. It's a, if you talk technology to them, to people, people are going to get hung up. You know what I mean? Like, you know, well, we're very traditional. We do it this way. But if you find out from a brewmaster that somebody else's beer is better than yours and because they have a, an extra little trick in the bag, mm. trust me, they move pretty quickly, yeah. you know, um, to, to compete. That is a great I way love to that. put Thank it. You. If, I, if I could just add a few, just a few comments here um, to what uh, Nick and, and Steven said in response to Tanya, I, I, I have the privilege and, and, and the pleasure, uh, frankly, of, of working with a variety of customers. I mean, you know, dozens, if not hundreds over the last you know, few years, and everybody has a different way of how they want to, you know, work in their brewery or, or brew their beer. I mean, I think at the end of the day, everybody cares about quality. Um, you know, I would say that maybe some care about it uh, more than others, but everybody wants to do a great job. Everybody wants to brew, brew a great beer. And how they do that, how they interact with technology depends on, you know, how they learn to work and how they learned to learn. So, you know, I like to say everybody's living their lives on their phones. Um, and I've watched Stephen brew at Cowbell, you know, from, from his phone. I've watched him operate, you know, um, he's mashing in or he's, you know, he's operating the kettle. Whereas some people, um, you know, that would be completely foreign to them. And I think different people have different expectations about, you know, if they're, if they're coming from the outside and they just got hired to work at this brewery, what do you mean I can't brew from my phone? What do you mean I can't start mashing in from bed? You know? And um, I, I, I think that there's a, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a mindset, and I'm not I'm not saying that it's it's right for everybody, but over time, I think a lot of these systems will probably get upgraded, and it comes down to instrumentation, it comes down to you know uh, to controls, it comes down to how they interact with the machine, uh, but also doing it safely because um, it's one thing to say, yeah, I can brew from my phone, but what if I'm not near the machine and I've just you know I've just you know enabled something or I've just, you know, activated something 
and there's somebody inside that machine that I can't see, right? It has to be done safely as well. So I think it's 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 not just about it's about technology or about you know um, you know IoT or, or, or remote connectivity. It's also about how do we do that safely and productively at the same time. I've had uh, I've had this conversation with a couple of people re- recently, and I just want to share one anecdote. Uh, beer's been made for over seven thousand years, likely longer than that. Only for the, about the past three hundred have we used hops, which seems insane, right? Hops are of course a big part of beer, but for less than five percent of beer's existence, hops have been a part of beer. Any brewer today that does not decide to move into the future will be a part of history. Mm. So we're getting towards the end. We got about seven minutes left. First, I want to say awesome conversation and a big thanks to Steve, Stephen, Nick, and Connor for leading us in an awesome conversation. I don't think this is going to be the last beer-centric discussion we have. It's been long overdue. A couple of housekeeping items before we wrap up. First, if everyone, if anyone that still has beer in their glass or can wants to raise a quick glass, I'm going to take a screenshot here in just a second. So I'll do a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. You guys look great. I'm going to post that to the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn which is the second point I wanted to make. I put a link to that. So especially Steve, Stephen, Nick, and um, Connor, since you're new here, we have a LinkedIn community with over 200 industry leaders. I'd highly recommend joining that. It's an opportunity to keep these conversations going after the call has ended. So that's where we post articles, other things that we come across during our time uh, when we're not on these calls. Um, and then for everyone attending today, I know it's been mostly emphasized on the fireside chat portion today. Next week is actually going to be one of our sessions that's more of a, hey, bring a friend type roundtable conversation. So we try to do those at least once a month. So we got five minutes left. So anything from our other attendees, any comments or thoughts on the call today that you want to bring up before we wrap up? This is Kyle. Maybe just a, a, a comment or an observation in terms of there's a lot of technology out there. And of course, uh, I work for Rock Woman and, and Siemens is probably a, one of the leading, let's say, uh, automation companies involved in brewing in, in Europe, but the Germans, let's say the Germans have been brewing beer a long time and doing it very well and, and very proud of it. But do, do you see themselves, they can apply any technology they want, but yet do you see themselves maybe as a disadvantage based on their purity laws and their maybe restrictions on the ingredients that they can use to make beer versus the flexibility that the Americans and Canadians have? It just maybe a observation. Can I, can I address that one? Because I work closely with um, a German equipment manufacturer and I spend a fair bit of time uh, in Bavaria, in the heart of Bavaria and talking with these people who are all uh, super proud of what they do and, um, you know, technologically advanced, um, but also, you know, very respectful of the craft and the purity laws that you're referring to. Um, you know, they're, there are also, um, there's, there's pockets of, of mavericks, I would call them, right, in, in the industry. Um, and they would argue that um, while they, they still respect the purity laws, they're going to, uh, in, on some days and in, in, in some cases, they're going to make beer uh, that they want to drink that may not, you know, fall within the purity laws. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable. It doesn't mean that they don't respect uh, the craft. And, you know, they'll apply you know, whether it's, it's, it's hop dosing technology or spice dosing technology um, or, you know, a, a variety of different, different tools 
Um, they're making really, really interesting beer in non-traditional ways in the heart of this very traditional, you know, beer making community. And, um, and, and, you know, regardless of the control platform, I think it's, you know, whether it's green or red and gray or orange or, you know, whatever, um, it turns things on and off and it, it, it displays information and it runs, you know, um, it runs control programs. I don't really think they, 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 they care so much about the controls that they're making. They care about the beer that they're making. Um, and every, every single customer that I've ever encountered when we start the conversation about, you know, again, whether they're in Europe or they're in North America or South America or whatever, rarely do they ever talk about controls. They talk about the beer they want to make and how they want to make it. And the controls are just, you know, um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's always about the ingredients and it's always about, I think what, what Steven talked about uh, earlier, right. Is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it's about the history. It's about, um, you know, their personal involvement with their recipe and, you know, whether or not um, people respect that. I think that's really the, that that's the key thing. So at least that's my perspective. Steven, Nick, Connor, you might, you might have something to add to that. I think like as craft beer has grown from 1975 till today and uh, different beer styles have traveled across the globe, there, there has absolutely been a battle between, we'll say, old school beer and modern beer, old school beer, which fits into specific boxes, delicious, delicious boxes and new school beer that doesn't necessarily fit into specific categories. There's always going to be a dichotomy of people that prefer one versus the other, love one versus the other, believe in one, don't believe in the other. Um, but you know exactly what Steve was saying. Um, breweries everywhere in very traditional regions like Germany and Czech uh, and non-beer producing regions like Italy uh, are beginning to really, in the last five to ten years, really innovate in what they're doing. So to your question, Kyle, directly, Yes, the Reinheitsgebot does limit your capabilities in terms of innovating into potentially different styles. Certainly doesn't uh, restrict your ability to make high quality beer very efficiently, safely in an automated fashion. Um, but I, I'd be willing to bet that the proportion of brewers uh, following uh, ancient uh, and restrictive law like that uh, is shrinking on a daily basis. And I would say that has, you know, I think the purity laws, you know, I've been to some of the most highly automated breweries, you know, um, probably the same one Steve's all been to is that in Germany, do you know what I mean? Uh, and there, there are different sizes, high, much more automated than what we see here in North America, you know, uh, and they're really good at making, you know, three, four five brands, you know, of, of beer. Um, but they're highly automated, you know, the, uh, and to the point where I think the Polana brewery, you know, just outside of Munich, you know, it is a, it's amazing. You know, they've got automated guided vehicles. They've got, you know, highly sophisticated, you know, control systems. Uh, you see all of it there. Uh, and, you know, they are, they have to abide by the purity law. So I think I would say separated. I agree with Steven that, you know, there are, there is a two pieces of the beer industry, but I think everybody's focused on making a really quality product. Right. And you're going to see more innovation. That's just natural consumers. I started, like I said before, consumer tastes are changing, right? You know, there's an entire generation that grew up on juice boxes, 
you know, and there's six different flavors of juice boxes in that pack of juice test that you buy, you know, and, you know, they're going to turn into beer drinkers and they're going to want different flavors. Even the monks like automation. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, technology is a tool and that tool can be used to accomplish whatever goals you set your mind to. So for North American brewers, that can be creativity and it can allow you to brew different things in small batches or brew something completely unique where something in Germany where they need to abide by the purity laws that that tool can allow them to nail it using a creative new process so it it, it really allows you to explore whether that's the end product or the way you do it you know we we didn't even get to hard seltzer we didn't even get to spirits based rtds we didn't even get to cold brew coffee we didn't get to kombucha we didn't get to you know hand sanitizer <laughs> right you know what i say to that good because i love beer and i this hard seltzer <laughs> nonsense i i get the business uh i get the business uh reason behind it but i'm just i'm not sold on it yet i'm not drinking it at least <laughs> But yes, that is an inevitable rising trend. Like I said, I don't think this will be the last time we talk about beer. Um, we'll need to do another one of these at some point. So Steve, Stephen, Nick, and Connor, thank you again so much for leading an awesome call today. And I'll see all of you in the Manufacturing Happy Hour community in the meantime. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. See you, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our panel participants, Steve, Stephen, Connor, and Nick. And an even bigger thank you to the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community that provided all of the great questions for today's episode. If you are in the brewing industry and you want to dive into any of these topics further or connect with any of our panelists, you can do that by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash brewing to get to our beer industry resource page. And if you would like to be a participant in one of these future discussions, make sure you're part of the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. I've mentioned it before. It's super easy to get to. You just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. That'll get you right to the LinkedIn page where you can connect with over 200 awesome manufacturing leaders like the folks on this show, like the folks you heard today on the panel. Hope to see you there. It's always great to keep these conversations going throughout the week, even when our virtual events aren't taking place. Plenty more to come on Manufacturing Happy Hour coming up. That's it for this week. Looking forward to having you back for some of our full-length interviews coming right up. As always, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and I can't wait to see you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Cheers. for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.